Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. industry is worth 31 billion in Africa, with the US being one of the largest importers of African manufactured goods. However, more and more retailers in Europe and the UK are increasing the number of products that are they are importing from Africa. Today, I'm joined by Jacqueline Shaw, an expert in African sourcing and founder of Africa Fashion Guide and a new platform, Africa Trade Expo, which has just launched. But Jacqueline is going to explain all about that as we are having our conversation. But Jacqueline, thanks very much for joining me today. Hey, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Now, you are, like I said, an expert in African sourcing from Africa. Can you give a little bit of an intro into your background and what you currently do and why you started it? Yeah, sure. So my um, background, probably similar with you in, in the way that worked in the fashion industry, I went down the route of design. So I had quite a, you know, a reasonably long career working as a designer for different brands and high street retailers. Um, working abroad, working internationally, as well as here in the UK, where I'm from. Um, and it was from doing a master's in ethical fashion in 20, 2009, seems so long ago now, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about it, um, 2009, that I um, launched my company, Africa Fashion Guide, because I was interested in the African continent. Um, I already loved the textiles, but I was like, there must be, there's an industry there, but nobody's really talking about it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to research it, this supply chain from the cotton industry through to the garment manufacturing. And then I did talk about fashion shows and so forth like that. But, but my focus was on the supply chain yeah. and the sustainable fashion story within that. Um, and so from that, it wasn't even, a, I didn't even decide to launch the company, it just kind of happened I just finished my master's um, and I launched I created a book I decided to to, to create a blog um, and then I also decided to host a conference and then people just kept saying oh you need to do this every year so good mm-hmm. and you know it, it, it just evolved that I just kept doing that and people kept asking me to you know consult for them and to help them to source in Africa and it's just yeah, it's just grown from then. It's grown from then, yeah. And so with, with my background, I'm used to more sourcing from China, from Vietnam, mm. and from the Far East. How is Africa different? Like what kind of industries or what kind of clothing products can you find in Africa and how is it different? I would say it's, it's, it's very different in the setup of the supply chain. I mean, if we're comparing Africa to, to Asia, because as I think as a, as a continent, the Asian continent, you know, the, the key players, like you just mentioned, they will have supply chains where everything is set up. Mm-hmm. Um, so not everywhere, obviously, like some are more CM, you know, CMT, like you know, Bangladesh, and then you have like India, which is more like a full supply chain from cotton, Ginning, milling, ginning, 
ginning and mills and you know processing of, of the textile the cotton to textiles now in africa they have that so if you're looking at the whole continent that it's very limited in areas that have it so you do have um, i visited an organic cotton farm and the first kind of organic cotton ginnery in Burkina Faso. Um, they have them in, in East Africa as well, Uganda, ten, um, Uganda um, Tanzania. Um, but I um, know, found they've been quite limited across the continent. So a lot of the raw materials are exported, like the cotton, a lot of it is exported. So you could be wearing African cotton when you're buying your, you know, the El, is it El, oh, I can't remember, is it El Waikiki? What's that company LC called? Waikiki. Yeah, LC yeah, Waikiki yeah. In, um, <laughs> in Turkey. And you're maybe wearing, you know, clothing from there is made locally, but they may have bought in cotton from Africa, but it's, in, it's been you know, processed in Turkey and completed mm-hmm. in Turkey. So um, that's um, kind of the main difference I found is the processing. And so the typical products that you're going to get tend to be a lot of uniforms. So the ones who are doing it on the larger scale, you know, in the countries like you may even have worked with like Mauritius maybe mm-hmm. or you know um, um, Tunisia maybe if you've done some denims or Morocco or even Egypt which is kind of coming up under Africa Middle East I guess um, you may already have worked with them and they're kind of set up quite well those countries with the, to do large scale so you have like Gap um, and um, um, even Tesco's here has done some things in Africa um, in that larger scale, but they'll tend to be things like t-shirts or uniforms, school mm-hmm. uniforms or like police uniforms or security, things like that. So they're not so they're not so much fashion on the larger industry scale. But then there are workshops that who I'm working with, the smaller scale who would do like 100 pieces, 50 yeah. pieces. And then they're more fashion driven and there's more and more of them who are evolving now on the continent. Um, but then they'll be doing like a typical African print, or you know um, products which have been handmade artisanal. Yeah. So like like yeah like, like you said, it's more of an artisan look or an, an artisan feel that's like limited runs and quite bespoke to to what's briefed or you know to to yeah. what their, their talent or you know their kind of handwriting, the supplier's handwriting. Yeah, but there is there is fashion as well. So like there's a company called Grassfields who but they do you know they use a typical wax print or some will call it African print fabric but it's very young fashion it's your it's, it's a high it's very high street you know yeah. cute dresses cute high street clothing but it's just in so-called African print wax print yeah. so you know they they're doing that in um in Cameroon and um Af- somewhere else in Africa and also in the UK that they do their production but um so there is that but it's more you know used in that fabric and you mentioned gap and tesco what yeah, other and big, h&m as well Got yeah h&m there. and are there any other kind of big retailers that you know that are already sourcing out of africa um yeah there was i mean you've had even some of the, the big designers like Vivian westwood like yeah. um stella mccartney um who have done things there there has been um uh other high street retailers um walmart who do things with um um in south africa as well or they, they've kind of taken over some retailing um in africa some of the larger retailers um there, there's been quite a few who have but then they may just do basic things like i said like t-shirts 
Yeah. Um, uh, what's that one called as well? Um, T, not TK, TK Max, TJ Max, whichever one we call yeah. it here. I was TJ Hughes like, or TK Max, whichever. Yeah, one of them, yeah. They, they were doing a project in, um, I think it was Uganda um, some years ago, um, and where they were doing like, some basic products as well home items and t-shirts, so really simple things. So there have been some who are stepping in. I know some retailers um, who have done some things as well, who I don't know if they've finished their project, so I can't really say. Yeah, okay, They, they reached fine. out to me, so I can't really say, but I know there's some others in the UK who are doing stuff and more are kind of stepping in and getting interest. IKEA did a big project as well with African designers and did their products in, their products in their stores. Um, so you've both got like large scale and small scale. You've both got the big retailers coming in, but then you've also got smaller um, designers that are exploring Africa as well. And yeah, you, you've obviously worked with um, African suppliers and um, and been sourcing from that country for a long time. How have you seen it change? How has things changed um, within the African continent? I've seen. Yeah, in terms of, I suppose. How's the the setup changed? The logistics changed? You know, what kind of improvements and growth have you seen over the years? Mm, interesting. Because when I kind of started on my African African adventure, my African journey in fashion um, production, I would it was um, around two thousand nine when I did my masters. When I started my masters, and there you know, it was limited in how many, I mean, it's still limited in the numbers. When you think of the continent has like 54 countries, yeah. it was limited in those numbers. Um, but what I've seen now is that because there's more organisations who are getting into the continent or getting onto the continent, who are doing programmes, like the International Trade Centre, for example, with their ethical fashion initiative, and they're doing... Um, they've been doing a project there for a while. You've got the African Development Bank. They've got their local project um, on the continent. Um, and like I've seen other retailers um, like Bloomingdale, for example, doing things in Africa and, um, you know, supporting African design and fashion. There's been so much more projects happening and where people are coming on and stepping in and supporting capacity building with artisans, with retailers mm -hmm. and manufacturers. There's the Ethical Apparel Africa as well. I know the founder who's done amazing work um, in West Africa um, and helping them, you know, with things like quality control. Because that's always a major issue because it, it's been quite cottage yeah. industry um, in the way things are set up. I call it this, uh, I say to my client, it's like, a, I call it the one-one tailor by the roadside. It's a... Some don't, some may disagree with me on the term, and but I've said it, it is the way it is. Sometimes you can go, they you know, this typical image that people type to do display of Africa where they go in and they see these tailors in the markets and they just buy their sewing machines and they'll sew you the pieces and they'll be very, very good at sewing you that dress you want for that occasion. So mm -hmm. you will get it, I'm with you, maybe I will get a dress as well. We're both happy, but now we're going in as you know, a double, like a, a duet now. We've got our own company, you know, Nicole and Jacqueline company, and we want to have a 500 pieces or even 50 pieces. And then there's a major issue of sizing, quality, consistency between those styles and, you know, patterns may not be used, uh, measurement charts not used, and then you're realising that, the, you know, you can't sell those products as, you know, consistent or because of some quality challenges so that is still issues so some have gone in there gone into countries or through projects and programs to support um 
these manufacturers, tailors, makers. So I've seen a lot of that. And I've seen also that there's been a rise of interest. We're seeing a lot of, you know, Americans and African-Americans, especially some of the, 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 the singers and the music artists who are mm-hmm. stepping onto the continent for the first time and, you know, connecting. Because fashion and music go together, doesn't it? So yeah. they're really getting on board now. And, and I think a lot of it has kind of stemmed off from, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're seeing that, you know, there's been more eyes on Africa, more interest in what's happening there. So music, just look on TikTok, look on Instagram, Reels, and you see all the different African dances, even through to Ethiopian traditional dances. And, you know, and people just celebrating the differences across the continent. And it's, you know, it's trending and people are interested in the, the textiles, the clothing, the traditional textiles and so forth. And that is, for me, a very positive story that, you know, people are recognising Africa for what it has to offer in fashion as a business, you know, as well. Absolutely. And what would you say the main, you mentioned there about quality control. How Mm -hmm. can you overcome that? I suppose two questions, really. What are the main challenges in sourcing with Africa? And, and, And then we can maybe cover quality control within that. But what would you say are the main challenges sourcing within Africa? Okay, so people would come to me and they'd often, so there'd be the thing, the issues that people think they have, they don't know where. And these could be retailers. I've had like large retailers who have come and not sure where to start. And small businesses who say the same thing. And that they think that's the major issue, but the major issue really is logistics. Yeah. I would say that's the number one because, you know, it's not set up um, in the same way. It's not, um, you know, you don't have, options and it's just it's highly priced highly highly priced so um that's a major issue um is well the, is, the logistics is, are high are a very high price yeah are they? Is that what you're saying? right okay yeah. yeah if you just even want to just get some samples you have to order enough to kind of you know make it worth paying for the shipping yeah you know um and I mean, I know international shipping is expensive anyway, but in Africa, it's even more. You, if you want it, you want to receive it on in time. You might most likely going to go with DHL to know that you can mm-hmm. get that within a week um, um, by air freight. And then you, um, it's just going to cost you a lot of money, a lot of money. Or unless you've got time to wait, then you can do it um, by sea, depending if there's a port or not. If it's a landlocked country, you've got some challenges there as well. So I have to remember that there is you know, a lot of landlocked countries yeah. on the African continent. And then the other issue I mentioned was the, um, well, access to materials, because I think the, the quality issue can be dealt with. You know, you or I can go in and there'll be you know, insights that we have in just creating patterns or yeah, doing sizes and measurement charts, and that will just clear up some of the, the basics. So there's a consistency in size 10, 12, 14, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that those are things that can get sorted quite easily. But the access to materials, so you know, you may want a dress made, great. They they can use a local fabric, it may be handmade or it may just be something from the market, but then zips now. You know, just getting a zip, the quality of the zips or the buttons, those trims, those that getting the linings, getting um, the, those materials that you need is that's where a lot may be really challenged. Even with the wax print fabric, you know, you might go in, you might see something in the market, you like that print. You go back now, you made a sample, you want to do production. Oh, it's not available anymore or you can't yeah. find it. And 
you know, are they still going to pay the high price, um, the higher, the higher priced um, Dutch um, wax print houses? You, you know, you're going to be very challenged in in things like that. So, yeah, I would say logistics and then the access to materials, stroke trims and notions. And so, are, are a lot of those imported then, or from other countries, or are they or are they locally sourced? Many are. Are imported so clients that I've worked with sometimes we'll just have to if they're doing like higher orders yeah um, high volume yeah high, yeah then um we'll just say you know especially like we've worked with um, companies uh, manufacturers in East Africa it's probably easier then we'll just say you know we just ship things in from from Asia because of the location is just easier yeah um so so that can be sorted out there um, but yeah, it's just it's just either. I mean, there is like the um, YKK on the continent. Yeah, uh, I believe there's some in South Africa. There maybe one office in Kenya as well. I have to check. I haven't looked for a little while, but you know, it's not always accessible for, for everybody to get that consistency. So many do go to yeah. Dubai, and Dubai is served in the African market. So you find a lot of like Nigerian companies and Ghanaian companies will. They'll, they'll be heading off, or even in, in East Africa, they'll head off to Dubai to get new fabrics for their for their fashion business because that's where they can get their materials. And what are the main manufacturing regions in Africa? You mentioned um, Kenya, I think. You mentioned mm-hmm. Uganda. Um, and are they um, are they specific to a, ter- a certain product type or is it varied? Um yeah, I mean, it's saying like you'll have in Asia, like if you want to do, you know, you might go Vietnam or is it Cambodia mm-hmm. for footwear, for example. Or, yeah. Um, um, maybe you're going to go to Japan or you, you think about places you're going to go maybe to get do more technical fabrics, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, so similar to that, you'll have like regional areas. Um, you have like your, uh, I would say places like, South Africa, Lesotho, Madagascar, Mauritius, you can do like the volume that you need to. There'll be those who will do the 3,000 minimum, 3,000 piece um, MOQ or, you know, orders. And, and any kind of product. So knitwear, denim. Yeah, they'll tend, yeah, a lot of denim and, yeah, T-shirt, jersey, um, um, fabric kind of, you know, the, your kind of basics like that. Mm-hmm. And then if you want a little bit more, fashion stuff and you may be West Africa but then you again you maybe have your challenges but many if you're going there you're usually going to use like wax print most likely going to use wax print and then East Africa you'll find there's a lot of your basics as well again even though there are loads of other things in that in those countries because you'll find that people don't realize that in Kenya they um, there's knitting you know hand knitting crochet and not like not like the machine that hand knitting and crochet and there's silk production as well. Um, and then, you know, and silk production as well. And then, um, so, but then you, if you're going to do production, you're likely going to be doing like basic products as well. Again, you'll, you'll do your, your T-shirts, you can do like some um, dresses, uniforms, all those kind of stuff as well. But yeah. There are fashion because our ASOS was doing production there. Yeah. There's like a factory do production. And I there. know there's some value retailers that are looking at uh, lingerie out of Ethiopia as well. Ethiopia, yes. Um, lingerie is a challenging one because of the the trims, because of the the you know the, 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 com- 
the components you're going to need for lingerie. Because I do have people who come to me, they want to do lingerie in Africa. And I'm saying, unless you're going to do the quantity, you're going to be challenged because, you know, if it is tailored, You have to get your raw materials and all your wires and your your cups, yeah. probably everything from China. Like the one I'm, the supplier I'm particularly thinking of, they have a, a whole infrastructure and they would be bringing stuff over from China. So I think yes. they would literally just be using African labor mm-hmm. um, to make the products. And, and then is that where... Is that one of the big benefits in terms of of cost? Is that if you were like looking at a like for like product with China, would you say that that's why? Mm. Other than so, obviously you've got the artisan side of things, and that's you know people are looking for a certain look, and that's why they'd go to Africa for that. But if it's a a, a cotton product or you know a denim, is it why would they why would co- people be sourcing that from Africa versus say Asia? Well, that's the thing. Um... Because Africa's not cheaper. People have this thing that, you know, oh, poor Africa, poverty Africa is going to be cheap to do anything there because, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's this mindset. But the reality is it's not. Because of the supply chain, it's not cheaper. You know, logistics um, and everything like that when you start adding everything on. Yeah, I mean, yes, you're going to have, like, obviously some you know, countries is going to be, uh, oh, I mean, all the stuff going to Ethiopia, I mean, it's, 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 it's a weird one to even discuss that because, it's, it's had so much issues with land grabbing and, right. you know, so many things going on there. And then, you know, the, the price people are being paid because Ethiopia has cheaper electricity. So it makes it a bit easier, more sta- you know, steady. Where somewhere like Nigeria, you're always going to need like a generator um, if, because, it, you know, Ghana, like the electric's going off. So you, you think of, you know, you're going to have to have a generator if you want to have continuous power production. So yeah. that's going to be making your your work harder more expensive so it's not as cheaper and then more beneficial to do in Africa but if you're coming in because you want that story you maybe you want to do more traditional yeah textiles or something like that then great or if you're going to be doing big business um big you know, larger orders that you're serving the market you're probably going to be doing like basic products mm-hmm. and then you're going to be so doing somewhere where maybe the labor is a bit cheaper or like saying like electricity and and where it's it's easy for you to export like there's um you know, EPZs, so the countries that may have that in place, so the exporting is is, is duty-free and you are shipping to, you know, maybe you've got a GOA, um, the African Growth and Opportunity Act, and you've got that in place so you can, you know, get these these benefits from these um, policies, these trade policies with particular countries, then maybe it will work in your favour. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's always, everyone is struggling to be, to be to compete with China rather yeah. than beat. Beat is a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and can you even beat with China? You just try to compete with it, but everything's made there. Everything is made there. <laughs> and we talked about some of the challenges. I know that you talked about the logistics and um, so that. What about the banking system and payments? Um, oh yes, yeah. That's another big one. Yeah, that's a good point you made as well. Um, that was one of the challenges that I was finding when I was building my um, sourcing platform, The Fate, the Fashion Africa Trade Expo. Why it took me so long to get things going was because I just was trying to navigate how am I going to deal with all the different payment processes in the different countries, the different, you know, currencies. You know, yeah. Not just all say, yeah, when you think that, like, you know, all the a different lot of countries. Yeah. And then you know, from one you're, country you're talking to another, about a continent, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. 
if they all dealt with dollars, like, you know, in China, you know, or Asia, yeah. they deal with dollars. So it, it makes it a bit easy. But if these countries do not, if, well, maybe they do, but then the smaller scale manufacturers or medium scale may not. So you, you're going to have to think of how you're going to send the money. So, yeah, they, that is a major one. But there is companies who, I know there was a company called, um, they're now called Anchor. And there's a few others that I've spoken with who have set up some things to make it easier for African businesses to receive money from international buyers um, and then to trade. So it's helping. But that's more Africa to the rest of the world rather than between countries. Because yeah. remember, Africa also wants to and is trading with itself. Yeah. And that's beneficial for it to trade with itself. And, you know, there's new trade agreements that have come in place to support that. So, so yeah, there's, there's a lot going on, but that is, that is a, that is a challenge. The money and, one is a challenge. Well, we, we had a conversation um, when I was talking to your group about, you say, if, if you're dealing with China, you would generally pay, you know, obviously if you're a big retailer, it's, it's a different kind of payment terms, but if you're, you know, buying smaller quantities, you'd pay maybe 30% deposit or 50% deposit, but it doesn't yeah. work like that in Africa. How does it work? Um, I mean, with the with the larger retailers, retailers rather the larger producers, you can still kind of work on the same ways and have the same kind of um, methods in place as you would with like thirty days or sixty days payment terms or something like that. But say yeah. you know, say if you're only kind of or if you're ordering hundred units of an item or two hundred units, you know, fifty units of an item, how what kind of payment terms would you expect from your uh, from your supplier? That's big, well, you're going to be dealing with them case by case. So some some may um, just have you just just pay in full um, and then they're, they, you know, they're with the shipping price and then they just ship it all when it's already paid for. Some may say do a deposit, but generally you would be just, just paying it all up front. Um, you may be asked to pay, I've been asked to pay deposit, um, especially if they're hand-making something for me. And then once I see it's made, then I make them the final payments with shipping. Yeah. Now for some, that may be like a huge risk. Um, yeah. But it's, that's why it's really important to, you know, for platforms like what I've got, yeah. <laughs> and for relationships with people um, to know who, who you can work with and who may be, you know, to avoid. But, um, but yeah, these are, these are the challenges. These are the challenges. And and how is the government involved with the factories or businesses in Africa? What are the, what do they do anything to support them? And I know it's probably it could be different country by country, mm-hmm. but is is yeah. there an is there an involvement or support there? You'll find that there's um, um, trade ministers and um, like development boards and these kind of government organisations that will support. Well, depends on the country that some are really. Pushing and supporting that, they may have you know particular programs. Like I know Kenya does. I know um, Ghana, Nigeria does. Um, I mean, some will have like a British Council there, for example. You can speak to who will connect you with the industry, or there may be like other um, associations of manufacturers who are being supported from the government. And those are the kinds that you can go and speak to who I, like when I do my trips to the, to the continent and I'll go to places, those are the ones who I will speak with and network with a lot and get to know and, and build relationships with because they have the access. And then I do a lot of on the ground and find people um, just by talking to people on the ground. So, um, you know, the government may have its um, programs in place, 
may have textiles, they may recognise textiles as, as an opportunity. Um, I remember the, um, was it Mauritian, was it Mauritius? Their embassy, they came and spoke at one of my, my conferences I organised with my with Africa Fashion Guy, they came and spoke mm-hmm. and to share, you know, just how they're using the textile industry um, as a vehicle, you know, for trade and also um, for visibility um, and for building economy, things like that. So um, some do have things in place um, for textiles where it's, it's beneficial and some maybe they're still focused on things like the oil industry or agriculture where, you know, Africa has, you know, can provide the world with, um, with these resources, for example. And so if I am starting a brand or I've already got an existing brand and I want to um, find some products in Africa, I want to get some products made in Africa, what do I need to do? And I'm going to ask you about your platform in a minute and ask you yeah, to go yeah. through um, how that works. But um, what are the things that I need to, like, what's my checklist? I would say, first of all, you need to, I always say, go in with an open mind. Don't go with a with a list like, okay, I want to make, um, I want to make, I don't know, uh, corsets in Eswatini which is a country in the southern southern the southern states of Africa mm-hmm. and then you know you're like okay why do you want to do that there you need to kind of you need to go over mindset of what is available what can be done what's the I call it my c2c factor when I mm-hmm. when I speak to my clients I'll say you know capacity to capabilities mm-hmm. you know what's the what's the capabilities in that in that country because it's going to some countries will be very like Ethiopia Kenya and, and many others will do good leather, but Ethiopian Kenya, I, I think personally they have the best leather, mm-hmm. the best leather, like the Napa leather quality, and just beautiful leather. And so if you're making bags, you would absolutely go there. Yeah. Um, and then, so that's the capability. Do they have the capability to do the products you want? Do they have the capacity? You may only want to do 50 pieces. You may want to do 5,000 pieces. You're not going to go to a small, you know, country, landlord country who... Well, it doesn't matter about it being landlocked, but a small country that cannot, doesn't, where they only have small manufacturers and you want to do large scale, you're going to go to probably the Ethiopia where they have mm. those business parks or uh, the Madagascar, Mauritius, um, Egypt, Tunisia, those ones where you know that they can do those, those numbers and they have systems in place. So it's going to be a lot of research. You're going to be... Um, you know, deciding what you want to do and finding the countries which can which which can do that, you have the capacity and the capability to do that product. Um, so that would be the first step, I would say. And then I also say that you know, going to the continent is going to be a major major thing, major major thing. At some point, I say you can start without because there are now you know, people like myself who have you know resources you can use. You can um. We're an international world, not international, we are a world which communicates, you know, through so many methods now. So, you know, you can find things out from your internet and so forth. But at some point, I mean, you know, it's like even working with Asia or Turkey, Europe, whatever, you've got to go there at some point because you, you need to see who you're working with. Yeah. Especially with all sustainability and, and all the transparencies and circularity, all these questions that are coming up now, CSR. Um, you need to go and see who you're working with and how they are set up um, and to learn, especially with Africa, learn the culture that you're of the place that you're going to be working. I mean, Africa is huge. And then you're yeah. going to find that 
it's going to be different because of what's available in that country and the ways of working. And you're going to find um, religion as well as a major thing. So mm -hmm. you're going to find different ways of working based on um, the fact that it may be a predominantly Muslim country, for example. Um, I say to my people, right now it's um, Ramadan, isn't yeah. it? So yeah. you're going to have to find a way of working. Like, you know, when it's Chinese New Year, you best get that product ready in time. Yeah. You know, all those tech packs and everything ready to send to them before Chinese New Year, or you're going to miss your, you know, in-store dates, yeah. things like that. Um, so, you, you know, things like that you consider by understanding, okay, this country is, is you know, you've got the Francophone, you've got the Anglophone, you've got, you know, the ones who speak mostly Portuguese, I can't remember, and I can remember how they say it now. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're going to hear, there's a language difference as well, where, um is also going to be a challenge, but you'll find that regionally, I find that like, some West African countries can be quite similar, like culturally, mm -hmm. um, like you'll find like um, those in um, from the Nordic countries may be quite similar, for example, and just like some, some ways, they just have similar ways. It may be like that in, in Europe or Scandinavia, so it may be quite, quite similar. Um, so sometimes in some of the West African countries can be quite similar and in some of the East African countries can be quite similar. And there's actually groups. So you will have um, like the Comesa groups or the, uh, the ECOWAS groups and you know, different regional groups. And they stand for, I can't go through their, their, their acronyms, these words. So they stand for particular you know, groups and then there's trade policies for those groups and so forth. Um, but you will find that it's similarities, but I just go in, let me just learn. I go in open mind. I'm in Uganda. What is it like? Oh, this is good. I don't go in like, oh, is it like Kenya? Is it like yeah, yeah. You know, Rwanda? Because they're similar or they're nearby. No, let me go in and just say, this is Uganda. Hmm, I like this. Or this is this is new for me as a person. Um, and I just treat it every country like that. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a lot of challenges that we've that we've talked about as well yeah. and but a lot of benefits in terms of if you want a particular look and, and you want to um support african economy and you want to get your goods um from africa tell me more now about your new sourcing platform because i think from um it sounds amazing and i think with with africa being such a huge continent and having so many diverse things going on I would definitely be using your services if I was looking at producing uh from there so tell me about the the platform and and what what how that works yeah so um the platform has been a long dream of mine because I realized people kept asking the same questions where can I get ABC who should I work with which country should I go to mm -hmm. in Africa so it was always a bit of a challenge, you know, to serve so many people um, because of these issues. Um, so what I did is I created the, the Fashion Africa Trade Expo as an actual physical event, to be honest, in the beginning as part mm -hmm. of our annual conferences. And then um, I wanted to bring it online. Um, so it's now like a, for lack of better terms, the Alibaba um, of African fashion yeah. so it's a platform where we're, we're continuously uploading um, different manufacturers makers suppliers um, of textiles at homeware and clothing and accessories um, footwear um, products and you know they 
tend to say it's mostly to serve the small to medium sized businesses. So you wouldn't expect Topshop to go on there. Yeah. Um, they tend to, you know, go through more of the bespoke sourcing that you know is offered through Africa Fashion Guide um, for those type of retailers. So this one is more for smaller businesses to go and find the product. And one one of the one of the suppliers on there could represent, you know, just one small business. And some of them are they represent cooperatives. So um, you know, we've got a supplier in um, 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 Cote d'Ivoire or Ivory Coast, and they. Um, support a thousand artisans and do, do clothing, jewelry, fabrics, textiles, wow. mm-hmm. um, footwear, all different types of products. So it means that there's a variety of opportunities that would answer most people's challenges of where and what and who. Yeah. So yeah. So we launched that as a soft launch and planning to do, you know, uh, you know, more bigger launches and, and and get the word out even more with like sustainable sustainable fashion. Um, um, uh, pro- well, publications and so forth to share about this and what, what we've got to offer. So yeah, it's um it's a membership. So it's B two B platform. It's membership only. So it's a very very low price of just thirty seven pounds a month. And what we do each month is we bring on um the makers, we bring on logistics partners, we bring on um trend forecasters, we bring on experts like yourself, um Nicole as well. So that those who are doing the business can get more further insights into, you know, the fashion industry in general and African fashion and meet the manufacturers and meet the industry people so they can do good business and successful business in Africa and spread that message. And so because of that, we've got, um, I call it the four pillars mm-hmm. of African fashion sourcing and that we focus on that we, it stands on. And it's, the first one is, is all about sourcing in Africa then it's about making in Africa and then it's about trading with Africa and then building with Africa. So what to kind of make that as an underlying focus for people mm-hmm. as well. Fantastic. And so, and if people are looking at much larger quantities and they're listening and they're part of a bigger retailer, you have the African fashion guide, which you work directly with those um, yep. people. And whereas the fashion Um, uh, sorry the Africa Fashion Expo the the Fashion Africa Trade Expo the Fashion Trade Expo is like you said the Alibaba for smaller quantities more artisan producers and so you're covering both sides there which is great yeah so you can you'll find garment making in there garment production you'll find not just for like the African fabric African prints but you'll find that there are those there are those who will do clothing like high street clothing you'll see, you know, on you know, out today, you know, in, in UK, Europe, wherever it may be. Because the, the people who are buying are international buyers. They're not, you know, they, they want to make products for the world, really. So yeah. there's a variety of of opportunities on there and textile making as well. I mean, yeah, a lot of artisan um, um artisans they can connect with and manufacturers as well. So but it's a it's a great a great a great platform. We're really excited to get it out there now, and hope to be able to serve more people with it. It's, no, it sounds fantastic, and we'll um I'll link these um uh, these links will be in the show notes as well, so that yeah. um people can contact you directly um with and get to know kind of everything that you do. Um, yeah. I think just one kind of last question. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but where, <laughs> where... <laughs> well, well, I may do. You never yeah, know. Well, you never, yes. Um, <laughs> If you do, can I borrow it? Um, <laughs> what do you think? How do you what do you see happening with sourcing in Africa over the next kind of 
couple of years. How do you see it changing and evolving? I think it's going to grow because, I mean, there is a, um, a quote that I always quote in my webinars that, um, from the World Bank um, that by 2050, about 40% of the world will be Africa. And by 2100, um, um, the numbers are basically, it's going to be out of, gosh, 12 million, it's going to be about 8 million um, will be African. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, the world is African continent is growing. The population is growing. Africa is the is the future. It's a huge part of who we're going to be as um, as human beings on this planet. Yeah. The majority yeah. of us are going to be African, and um, because of that, there's going to be more local um, local needs to be supported. There's a lot of the those in the, the diaspora. Um, some call that the you know the eighth continent, the eighth continent mm-hmm. um, is the diaspora, and then, you know there's most of those who are deciding to to move back to Africa to leave Europe, America, wherever they are living, mm-hmm. and to you know maybe they're born in Africa, maybe they're born like myself here in the UK, but decide to um, set up roots on the continent because yeah. of the way things are going. They're seeing opportunity. They're seeing that that's what it, where the world's population is, is is going. So I think because of that, there's going to be a load of people who want to be served on the continent. And there's going to be, and Africa could feed the world with its land space, with its resources, and agricultural resources, it can feed the world. So I believe that um, with fashion, um, it's, it's really going to grow. We just It's just about having the supply chain to support that. The gineries, the mills, uh, especially with the new textiles that are coming up now, you know, these new processed textiles, if those f- um, processing facilities will be available, on the continent that will really support um, the growth of the industry. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining me and we hope you have enjoyed listening to Start, Scale, Succeed and I will see you again next week. We have a podcast episode every Thursday so if you have enjoyed it I'd love for you to leave a review and to subscribe. Subscribe.